Hello and welcome to the Meaningfulistic Podcast. I am your host, Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm asking questions about what matters to who and why in the deepest, most personal sense. This is an exploration to find deep meaning at the intersection of the secular and the sacred, the artistic and the scientific. Topics will revolve around meaning at the center of psychology, religion, and philosophy. The meaningfulistic is the both and of the yin and yang of what it means to be. Meaning is at the core of all three branches of disciplines that interest me the most. Philosophy, psychology, and religion. If anything, my hope is to foster this idea that bringing meaning to our lives and creating meaningful experiences is why we were created. I love the exchange and the interplay between these fields and try to immerse myself in learning more about these topics. Today, I'd like to share with you a collection of ideas from each of these disciplines that all coalesce into one meaningfulistic concept. In my psychology classes, I'm diving deep into the realm of Viktor Frankl's logotherapy, which is meaning-centered therapy. From my thirst for knowledge, I came across Dr. Dan Franz and the Meaning Project podcast. I joined the Facebook group that he works on with Dr. Baruch Halevi and Dr. Elise Cortez called the Meaning Academy. I've been attending their Meaning Mastermind meetings, Meaning Mastermind meetings, online, and some of the discussions incorporate not only Frankel's logotherapy, but also the Enneagram. For those of you not familiar with the Enneagram personality types, it is another tool for categorizing personalities that has grown in popularity. Since I've already taken some other personality tests like the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, and the Big Five, I thought I'd give it a shot and learn more about myself and what these guys were talking about. It turns out that I am an Enneagram Type 5, which is called the Investigator. I kind of wish it was called the Researcher because it sounds less authoritarian or nosy, but the sentiment speaks a lot about my true nature. It explains why I'm so excited when I learn something new and why I'm bored and anxious when I'm not intellectually stimulated. It also clearly defines my biggest problem. I overthink everything. Growing up, it felt like I had two brains. Not that I was particularly smart or smarter than everyone else, but that it felt like my thoughts were constantly rolling and changing and evolving. I'm pensive and sometimes brooding. I remember one time someone said that it looked like I was plotting to kill everyone in the room. And I think it was pretty funny at the time. I hadn't never thought of that but then I started thinking that (laughs) but anyways I the problem that I have with overthinking is that I suffer from what I learned recently is called analysis paralysis the second guessing of everything and never doing anything I get stuck in logical loops trying to outthink the situation and go around in circles trying to find a different perspective that will lead me to understanding the solution to a problem. This is all just a backdrop to how I came to certain revelations in my life right now. 
The Enneagram personality of the investigator is something that I'll keep in the back of my mind and just something that will help me navigate through these waters of life. One of the big things that I wrestle with daily is this tension between faith and reason. So faith and reason, a lot of people talk about it as the the war between science and religion. I've come across this in my studies for religion, and I know how people feel about it just from the conversations that I have. And I'm sure you've heard all the same that people that have faith are blind. They, they trust blindly. And people that, and then from the opposite side, from people that are religious would say that those who aren't uh, are too stuck in their in their own heads and they're not willing to believe in something outside of themselves. Uh, this came to a crux and one day after church. Someone asked me, so how is church? And it's very difficult to explain. One, I'm Catholic, and so they're probably thinking, how is church? Because they only know Catholic from uh, what they've seen in the movies. And for non-Catholic Christians, they're probably thinking, how was I, how did I enjoy the, the worship and praise service? And Catholic Church is just differently functionally, and, and some people probably out from the outside looking in just wouldn't understand it. So when someone asks, how is church, it's hard to describe. Um, but I, I did my best to answer. I said, it was great. You know, it was, um, it, it was really positive, and I, and, I, and I loved going. And I was pressed further, and they asked, what was the message about? And I was stuck, uh, and I was trying to recall all of the different readings that was said during Mass, but I just settled on something that would suffice the question, and I said, well, it's about trusting and believing in God. And this person asked me, huh, well, could that be also like believing in yourself? And I was just blank. I didn't know how to answer that. I pretty much felt like, no, that is the exact opposite of what the message is about, but I was at a loss of words at the moment, and I understand it. You know, there's a reluctance of believing in or trusting in the concept of, of something like God, especially if you think of God as something small. Um, but I try to look at it as, from my perspective, that it's like balancing the scales of faith and reason, that you don't believe in something that you don't fully understand, and on the opposite side, you can't be completely closed and only believing in things that you can't understand. Um, reason is like trusting yourself, knowledge and empiricism. Empiricism is only trusting in what you can experience. Now, why trust is something unknowable? It boils down to how much you, do you trust yourself and how much are you willing to trust someone or something else? And I was looking at Michelangelo's creation of Adam. This is the image. Everyone's seen it at the, at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel where God is leaning over and he's fully stretched out and these angels are holding him up. Uh, I don't know why angels need to hold up God, but it's, you know, artistic representation. And on the other side, you have Adam who's leaning sideways, you know, on one shoulder and having his arm just inches away from God's finger, his hands just barely touching. And 
when I look at this image, I want to be this person that just goes up and grabs their both of their wrists and brings them together. I want them to touch. I want the logic of man and the divinity of God to touch in some miraculous, mystical way so we can understand God better. But then I look at this image further and I see what these two characters are doing. God is reaching out all the way with his whole arm and body and his finger pointing just to the tip of Adam's finger. And Adam, I look at him and I'm like, you lazy bastard. God is reaching out for you and you can't even lean forward. You're leaning back and you're not, you can't even stretch out your finger. You won't even lift a finger to touch God. Allow God to touch you. And I don't know how more meaningful that, that, that sentiment is to me that I'm Adam sometimes. I'm withholding myself from God sometimes. I'm, I'm trusting in myself sometimes too much. And I'm lazy sometimes to where I'm not thinking about the things that are above me or outside of my head. So I took that first, that's the first tableau image of Adam not reaching out to God. And that brings me to Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Now, if you're not familiar with G.K. Chesterton, I can understand. He's not very popular for those outside of Catholic circles mostly. And, but he has been recommended to me and I've heard many people that I would listen to and look up to reference him and his works. So G.K. Chesterton was a writer. He was born in London. He was educated at St. Paul's but he never went to college. He went to art school. In 1900 he was asked to contribute a few magazine articles on art criticism and went on to become one of the most prolific writers of all time. He wrote 100 books, contributed to 200 more, hundreds of poems, including an epic ballad of the white horse, five plays, five novels, and some 200 short stories, including a popular series featuring the priest detective Father Brown. He is Catholic, and this is from the Chesterton.org Society for G.K. Chesterton website. This man who composed such profound and perfect lines as, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. He stood six foot four and weighed about 300 pounds, usually with a cigar in his mouth, and walked around wearing a cape and a crumpled hat, tiny glasses pinched at the end of his nose, sword stick in hand, laughter blowing through his mustache. He is the iconic caricature of the rogue scholar. He's been affectionately called the patron saint of common sense. And when I started to research him, the first thing that, I, that struck me as profound was something that I really loved. And is this quote is still my favorite quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. He has this way of words, this wit, and his logical refutation of 
relativism that I, that I really love. So he wrote Orthodoxy in 1908, and this was the book that is very highly recommended, and I've been afraid of it. I, I hear G.K. Chesterton Orthodoxy, and it sounds like, you know, have you seen me? I, I don't have a monocle and spats. This, this is, I don't have a, a tweed jacket with, you know, leather patches. This is not my cup of tea, but I gave it a shot. And I listened or to it. I, I have the audiobook. Um, Catholic audiobooks have it free, so you can listen to it. And it isn't that difficult. It's slightly stilted, is very erudite prose. It reminds me of Henry James from The Turn of the Screw, that was written in 1898. It's a classic Gothic ghost story. It also reminds me of something else that I listen to the book Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson, which was written in 1907. But writing of this caliber, this the way that they mastered the English language can never be written like that again, because simply we just don't talk like that. Orthodoxy to me was like a very rich raspberry cheesecake with the perfect crust. I sometimes describe books like food if i were to describe the uh, extreme ownership that from by jocko willink i'd probably say it's a steak and potatoes i don't even mean mashed potatoes i mean chunks of grilled russet potatoes with with butter on it this that was just meat and potatoes straight to the gullet down good stuff but like i said orthodoxy is a little more refined it's a little more rich it takes it takes you some time to step back and respect it so chapter two he calls the maniac he talks about walking with a publisher one day and he the publisher notices someone and he says that man will get on he believes in himself and gks chesterson says i said to him shall i tell you where the men are who believe most in themselves, for I can tell you, I know of men who believe in themselves more colossally than Napoleon or Caesar. I know where the flames, the fixed star of certainty and success. I can guide you to the thrones of the supermen. The men who really believe in themselves are all in the lunatic asylums. And I think that line about the supermen He's taking a jab at Nietzsche's Ubermensch, which was ri written in 1883. The Ubermensch is often translated as Overman or Superman. But he compares this maniac with a person who believes only in themselves and therefore subjects themselves to circular reasoning and a logical system that is closed to interpretation or external influence. This is... This is that empiricism that's only believing in what you can understand through your senses and personal experience. Modern psychology doesn't use the phrase or the terminology of maniac anymore, but he's mostly speaking allegorically. In contrast, he describes a person with the license to embrace the unknown or the artistic, the poet. He says, poetry is sane because it floats easily in an infinite sea. Reason seeks to cross the infinite sea and make it finite. To accept everything as an exercise, to understand everything as a strain. 
The poet only desires exaltation and expansion, a world to stretch himself in. The poet only asks to get his head into heavens. It is a logician who seeks to get his heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. It's beautiful words, as poetic as you can get, and that's exactly what he what he's talking about is how I think it's how I feel trying to get the heavens into my head will ultimately split my dome he goes back to the maniac describing the maniac he says perhaps the nearest we can get to expressing the problem is to say this that his mind moves in a perfect but narrow circle a small circle is quite infinite as a large circle but though it is quite as infinite it is not so large He's talking about how this logical loop is not is going to break down, ultimately fighting to answer questions that have no comprehensible answer. That's that is the problem that he's describing. He goes on to say, in these cases, it is not enough that the unhappy man should desire truth. He must desire health. Nothing can save him. But a blind hunger for normality, like that of a beast. A man cannot think himself out of mental evil, for it is actually the organ of thought that has become diseased, ungovernable, and, as it were, independent. He can only be saved by will or faith. The moment his mere reason moves, it moves in a circular rut. He will go around and around his logical circle. The problem of rumination is exactly that, that thinking that thinking about everything is a good thing. On the other hand, mysticism keeps men sane. These are his words. As long as you have mystery, you have health. When you destroy mystery, you create morbidity. The ordinary man has always been sane because the ordinary man has always been a mystic. He has permitted the twilight. He has always one foot set on earth and the other in fairyland. He always has left himself free to doubt his gods, but unlike the agnostics of today, feel free also to believe in them. He has always cared more for truth than for consistency. If he saw two truths that seemed to contradict each other, he would take the two truths and the contradiction with them. His spiritual sight is stereoscopic, like his physical sight, he sees two different pictures at once and yet sees all the better for that. In Catholic theology and circles, I've heard it often said as the both and principle. And I use that in my introduction that the meaningfulistic is the yin and yang of the both and of what it means to be. Because I have that idea, that concept also of taking things seem contradictory but allowing them to exist together so you can't throw out one for the sake of the other the things that contradict may both be true and he understands this very well to take a hard shift left i'm going to share with you the jungle book the jungle book was written in 1894 and was a collection of stories by English author Rudyard Kipling. So around the same time, right? 
Most of the characters are animals such as Shere Khan, the tiger, and Baloo the bear, though a principal character is the boy or the man cub, Mowgli, who is raised in the jungle by wolves. A major theme of the book is abandonment, followed by fostering, as in the life of Mowgli, echoing Kipling's own childhood. The theme is echoed in the triumph of the protagonists, which include Ricky Tiki Tavi, which I loved watching when I was a kid, and the White Seal, which I know nothing about. But one theme is the human archetypes in animal form. Baloo, B-H-A-L-U, is actually the Hindi word for several bear species, but his character, as described as the sleepy brown bear, is consistent with the sloth bear of the region of India, where the story of Mowgli's brothers, this is where Baloo is, is supposedly set. And I share you all this because I grew up watching the 1942 version of The Jungle Book, which was live action, uh, real Indian cast. I was not familiar with Disney. There was not a uh, Disney channel back then. We didn't, my parents didn't buy it, in other words, if there, if there was. And we didn't have the VHS of the lovable cartoon that everybody knows. So when I heard this, the bare necessities, it was later in it when I was in age because I grew up and me and my sister actually loved watching this very old 1942 version. Um, I don't know why we had that version. I was, they could have gotten me the Disney version, but come on, mom. <laughs> Anyways, the Baloo version I was able to ignore as an adult, I was able to ignore as a kid or an older. As, when I was a child and it matters because it ties everything in. I have a two-year-old son and he has had trouble brushing his teeth so I brush his teeth and he tends to bite the toothbrush and suck the toothpaste so the only way that we figured to get him to stop doing that was to zombie him out which is what we call using YouTube on my phone to let him listen to a song and the other day, we let him listen to The Bare Necessities. And I'm brushing his teeth. I'm ignoring him for the most part, just doing what I have to do and not listening to the music. But towards the end, I was struck with this epiphany. So, The Bare Necessities, here's the lyrics. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities, old mother nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. This is what got me. And don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. And... I had to take stop what I was doing and just take note. I'm sitting here brushing my son's teeth. I'd been listening to G.K. Chesterton Orthodoxy and finding out how profound his maniac expression was. And then I learned about me being an investigator and my problems with rumination and overthinking and analysis paralysis. And this children's song comes along and 
articulates it in ways that I could understand. Don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. Like the answers to life's most difficult questions. And when you find that you can live without it and go on not thinking about it, that's basically faith. I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Sometimes when people say trust in God, what they could be saying is, I don't have an answer. Or more importantly, that there is no answer. And the more you try to find one, you'll just drive yourself crazy. So, there you have it. The Enneagram, the Sistine Chapel, G.K. Chesterton, the Disney song. I've pieced part of these all together to show you how I love making these connections and I forge these connections and it helps me find a way to live and like I said navigate these waters and and that's living that's really living or as Baloo says oh man that's really living <laughs> so just try and relax yeah cool it fall apart in my backyard because let me tell you something little britches if you act like that B acts uh-uh you're working too hard don't work too hard. Find ways to live a purpose-filled life and be meaningfulistic. If you'd like to leave a message or comment, you can email me at meaningfulistic at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at, and TikTok at meaningfulistic. I've been trying to share shorter messages, usually one or two minutes long. It's actually been kind of fun for me. It's getting me over talking to myself into a camera and trying to articulate these crazy ideas and I appreciate all the people that have given me feedback and like my ideas or have been positively moved or think that it was worth listening to. I pray that you're always seeking ways to inject meaning into your life and close your open mind on something solid. And that's being meaningfulistic. Thank you and God bless.